Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back, True Believers. It's episode 10, Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. Excelsior! I'm Ryan Miller. Well played. <laughs> welcome back, Mills. Oh, welcome back yourself, Dax. Oh, yeah, pleasure is to be here. Big episode. It's a huge one. Episode 10. 10. Double digits. Doubles. We've done it. <laughs> Seems like every other episode we say we we did it. We do say that every episode. <laughs> Which is fine with me. I mean, it's an accomplishment. <laughs> it's a surprise. It's as much of a surprise to us as it is to you that another episode of Triple Threat Theater has made it to your ears. Very true. Very true. Mills, um, yep. this is an exciting one. Yeah. It's our not the first appearance of a comic book related movie, which mm-hmm. would go to Road to Perdition. But mm, yes. our first comic-centric episode. First superhero. Yeah, boy. Not our most inventive episode title, Does Whatever a Spider Can. I feel like this one would be our intrepid handful of listeners would probably come up with a far different trifecta than we did. You think? Kind of, because there's been some times where... You know, people have come up with some good ideas. Yeah, you know, that is true. I'm sure. I'm sure someone would have thrown out an arachnophobia once they heard this uh, <laughs> title. I guess I hadn't thought about that. It could have been like eight-legged freaks, yeah. arachnophobia, and Earth versus the Spider or something. Oh, jeez! Write that now down. That I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we come up with ideas yeah. for episodes. Yeah, people, it's that easy. <laughs> Oh. So, exactly. But regardless, episode 10, Does Whatever a Spider Can. Mm-hmm. 2002 Spider-Man. Yep. 2012's Amazing Spider-Man. Of course. 2017 Spider-Man Homecoming. Who'd have guessed it? We'll find out, I imagine. Yeah, we uh, one of the vague few rules that we came up with uh, back in the beginning when we were coming up with this show about uh, the episode combos and uh, like the the choosing of movies for the shows was that we would not do any franchises. Correct. Um, no sequels. I no think of all things, one of the early episodes I came up with was like three, like nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties Michael Caine spy movies where he plays Harry Palmer in all three of them. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was like, it just feels weird to focus on. Uh, I feel like there's other podcasts out there that do franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be like, all right, we're going to review all the Rockies or hell, all the Spider-Mans or something like that. And, you know, with as as people have seen or rather heard on our show in the past, we can have some pretty random trifectas of movies. 
And I think generally it's more interesting um, it for me as well as the listener. I don't know about you, but to keep uh, a little more variety. But, um, oh, for you know, sure. there's going to be exceptions so. to that rule. Like, it's weird that we have this back-to-back with um, Pull Up Your Socks mm-hmm. because that was three movies in the same genre by the same director, which is, you know, not the most diverse mix of films. And this is <clears throat> three movies focusing on the same character, but not technically sequels, not really part of the same franchise, which is how we're getting away with I mean, this. far and away, these are three vastly different movies. But uh, some of them also very similar in a lot of ways. Actually, all of them at the same time. Sure. Which is going to be interesting to get into once we actually start talking about the movies themselves. I concur greatly. But, um... Well, I think this, doing it the way we do it, keeps it interesting for us both to come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And to execute them, because I would, I mean, I feel like our only hard and fast rule is no franchises. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, I'd hate to come up with something good and then be like, "Oh, we can't do that because it's the same character." It, yeah, I think. You know, I think nothing the really. Only time the only time that one of us has vetoed an idea that the other ones come up with for an episode is. When uh, when you named three movies and then I pointed out that two of them were technically sequels to one another. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's pretty much anything goes. And that's how we've ended up with 176 potential right. yeah. uh, trios of movies already. Yeah. Because, I mean, in this case, as anyone who's seen them knows, these are in no way sequels of each other, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's how we play it. But similar enough that it's going to be fun to oh, yeah. compare, contrast, and dissect, I think. We've got a good amount of digging to do here. Yeah. Plus, a couple of these movies, I mean, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man, I could have not watched it for this uh, this review. And, I mean, I did watch it, but I, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. But I've seen it so many times that I could review that thing backwards and forwards without watching mm-hmm. it again. But any excuse s- to watch Spider-Man. I would have said that until I watched it this time. And then I said, oh, I'm very glad I did. Oh, I mean, nice. I mean, honestly, with every episode, I've watched everything, as I know you have, too, just because mm-hmm. it's that it's that much more interesting for the show, I think. It's, to, it's part of the show. It's part of the process. For sure. So, um, Millsy, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. You got any history with old Spider-Man pre-movies? Um, Spider-Man for me is one of those things where I, I feel like I always knew about Spider-Man. I don't know exactly where that comes from, but, Mm -hmm. um, the first major Spider-Man influence for me would have been the nineties cartoon. Interesting. Um, I feel like that was the doorway to all of my knowledge of like some of the more obscure characters, like a lot of the villains and stuff. Because, I mean, I don't know. I, I read a little bit of Spider-Man here and there over the years. It wasn't until sometime within the last decade that I really read, like, a significant amount of, like, uh, continuing issues of Spider-Man in sequence. Um, I read, uh, like, a bunch of the stuff following the J. Michael Straczynski run of the comics when it was the brand new day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gone back and forth on and off of the series since then. Um but 
a lot of characters like the spot, for example, a little more obscure or even more somewhat more well-known characters like the vulture, like anything I could tell you about their origin or their character motivations and stuff comes from that Spider-Man cartoon for the most part. I feel that was interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, played a little bit of the video games back in like the Sega Genesis era. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't tell you when I got my first Spider-Man comics. It was probably, you know, early, early, early days of collecting comics for me. My dad used to take me to a uh, a small little, like, hotel ballroom comic con in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, every now and then. And it was, like, $2 to get in. And a lot of the stuff, a lot of the tables there had, like, 10-cent and 25-cent boxes. And I would go in with, like... 20 bucks that I had saved and my dad would maybe give me another 10 or 20 bucks and I would spend it all and walk out of there with stacks of comics. And mm-hmm. A lot of them were like, you know, shitty image and Wildstorm books from the early 90s. Yeah. But then I imagine there was some Spider-Man in there. One of the very first trade paperbacks I can remember ever buying or actually begging my parents to buy me was Spider-Man Revelations, the four issues where... uh uh, it's like the end of the whole Ben Riley clone storyline. Okay. And I don't know why, but I remember like bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. We were in the mall in uh, Frederick, Maryland one time, and uh, my mom like broke down and bought it for me from uh, Barnes and Noble or, or uh, Walden Books, maybe. And uh, I mean, this was the 90s, and it was like a $20 graphic novel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. It took some convincing, but uh, that's one of the very first graphic novels I think I ever owned, and I still have it. Nice. But, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's about as specific as it gets. Like, I I can't remember the, my initial meeting with Peter Parker, personally. I'm pretty sure I could narrow it down a little bit. Um, So, for me, comic books go way back to probably... I'd say I was about eight years old is when I first started getting into them. My brother, my older brother Dennis, was in a bowling league. I was eight. He would have been ten, around those ages. He was in a bowling league at age ten? Yeah, like a like, like a kid's bowling. I don't know if it was a league. I never actually went to the bowling. I just know he went to Saturdays. He used to go bowling at this certain place on the east side of Brockton where we're from. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it was on a team because he used to go with one of his best friends. And they always would go to the bowling alley. And then they'd always go to the comic store that was basically in the same kind of strip mall area. Were comic stores as uh, prominent in in and around Boston back then as they are now? Um, it's possible. I mean, this particular comic store is the same one that I frequent that is my hometown comic store. So yeah, I've been, I mean, I'm coming on 30 years. I've been going to this place. Mm-hmm. It's moved within the strip mall. This is probably, I think this is like the fourth location, but it's been in the same strip mall the entire time. Jeez. That's the one I've always been going to. Um, yeah. And that's New England Comics. So they've been a chain this entire time. And so yeah. there's always been a bunch of them around. So yeah, I think about eight eight years old was when I first started getting into comics. At the time, I started out, I believe, with, of all things, 
Ninja Turtles, which was the cartoon adaptation at that point. Ninja Turtles Adventures. Yep, Ninja Turtles Adventures and RoboCop. Because I have a bunch of wow. old of the old RoboCop series. So I remember those two in particular. It was a fascinating twosome. <laughs> Tell me about it. I, I soon got into Iron Man, who's been like my favorite character for a long time. And then right right with Iron Man, I would say Spider-Man's like right there with him. My brother was really into Spider-Man. He's got late 80s, early 90s. He has all the almost all the Todd McFarlane Amazing Spider-Mans. I think he's got the whole run of the Eric Larson, which followed right after. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the first... Uh, Spider-Man comic I bought was Amazing Spider-Man 350, which was drawn by Eric Larson, where Spider-Man fights Doctor Doom, Mm -hmm. which I think I still have the original copy, which is like beat to shit in the the covers, like falling off, like the staples have given way and everything. Mm -hmm. I've since like worked my way back to buy more of the previous ones because I always loved the Eric Larson run. Of Spider-Man, but so I believe that was the first issue, and I was kind of hooked at that point, you know. And then my brother would like let me read like some of his issues going backwards from that one. Yeah. So that was like it was kind of all over for me at that point, and I remember even that, and around that same time, the second series of Marvel trading cards had come out. And that was like my brother's thing. Like he had been buying them and I hadn't started touching them. And I could still remember the first time I ever bought a pack of them. It was when we lived lived in a certain home in Brockton. Across the street was like a convenience store. I went there, bought a pack of cards. And I got like killer cards. I couldn't tell you exactly which ones, but I did get (laughs) the Spider-Man, which is the Eric Larson Spider-Man. And my brother was so pissed. (laughs) <laughs> because he loved Spider-Man, he loved Eric Larson, he's collecting the cards, didn't have that one, and I got it on my first try, and you know I was basically just like biting his style, I think, at that point, so he was bullshit, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it all coincides together, so it's kind of all been downhill for me at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, when I started to get into superheroes, X-Men would have probably been my favorite, but I feel like if you had asked me like back in the 90s, you know, who was your favorite superhero? I either would have said Gambit or Spider-Man at a certain point Mm -hmm. Um, until I started to get, like, heavier into the Wildstorm stuff and became a a grifter fiend, but that's a story for another time. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, it goes, I mean... being a longtime Spider-Man fan then, as you say that you were... Mm. um, Hype level in 2002? Astronomic. (laughs) Yeah. Through the roof. I could still remember the teaser trailer that they since scrubbed because of September 11th that showed the Trade Center. I remember that too. Like, Millsy, like, just no idea. I was beyond ecstatic. I mean, I like, at that point, like, Blade had come out. X-Men had come out. Um... You know, things I enjoyed, like things I was very well aware of, like excited for. I mean, I like the original X-Men. I have plenty of X-Men comics. I mean, that was another one that I picked up from my brother. Like he had all the old Jim Lee, like uncanny X-Men's, and then I started getting into them after that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but Spider-Man has been like the one for me. Yeah. It was always like Spider-Man, Iron Man. Iron Man was the one I was like, I'll just never see that. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> Little did you know. Little did I know. And eventually Iron Man would be in a Spider-Man movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so. I was all in on the X-Men movie when it came out. Like I said, X-Men probably would have been my favorite like superhero comic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like actively buying that when the movie came out. And um, yeah, super hyped on that, loved it, you know, didn't see the flaws back then. And then leading up to Spider-Man, because that was the next one, uh, very excited for that. This was early days of the internet for me. I feel like we got, like, my household got into the internet a little bit late. But, um, you know, DSL, shitty computer that we bought secondhand from a guy who refurbished computers and sold them out of a garage in Littletown, or in a barn, rather, in Littlestown, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And um, I remember going to the website all the time, spidermanhype.com, which would later become superherohype.com, oh, which is still around. Yeah. But originally it was spidermanhype.com and it was basically just like a countdown clock and any news about the Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like trying to watch the trailers online for it and it would take like for fucking ever for it to, yeah. to download and play. I mean, was that even like, well, that was like a real media digital Probably, f- yes. player or something? <laughs> but uh, yeah, super hyped, went to the theater, saw it opening day, fell in oh, love. Yeah. Uh, could not have been happier. <laughs> I mean, I'd imagine I saw this with Joel and Tony. I can't be sure. I'm sure their memories are better than mine. So, But this was certainly a midnight showing. It had to have been like back when Thursdays you could go on at midnight for the Fridays. Yeah. You know. I don't think like, so the town where the theater was that I was mostly going to at that age in 2002 um, I, you know, I was still in high school at the time and I was working a part-time job at a toy store. And I remember like anytime one of these movies would come out, um, I would take off that Friday and my friends and I would all go at like a primetime show on Friday, like 7 PM or something. So I don't think I saw a midnight show, but definitely opening day on Friday packed theater. Yeah. I'd love to go back. I wish I could remember, but there was... Us three, we went to quite a few mm-hmm. midnight shows. I mean, the I know we did it for Phantom Menace, like all the all the geek stuff for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, this one for me over the years has held up supremely well. Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on Letterboxd, I keep a vague list of like every single Marvel film, not just the MCU. Um, but like ranked and it's a pretty tough thing to do because there's so fucking many of them at this point, but, um, Spider-Man two, especially, but also the first Spider-Man always remained pretty high for me, even in the face of stuff like the new MCU movies, which are amazing and, you Mm -hmm. know, their own thing and all. But, uh, I think along with a, I think undeniable amount of quality, especially for a movie coming this early in the superhero movie boom. Um, and you know, even if it's lost a little bit of its luster for some people over the years and has been, you know, replaced by some better films, I think the sheer fact that this movie was as good as it was when it came out 
and the fact that I have so much nostalgia for it because these movies were a huge deal to me at the time. Yeah. Um, still enjoy this movie quite a lot in the face of some of the sillier stuff that I can see, but uh, pretty much 100% forgive. Yeah. I mean, let's get right into it. Please. Wake up, little spiders. Wake up. No, you're not dead yet. Just paralyzed temporarily. You're an amazing creature, Spider-Man. You and I are not so different. I'm not like you. You're a murderer. Well, to each his own. I chose my path, you chose the way of the hero. And they found you amusing for a while, the people of this city. But the one thing they love more than a hero is to see a hero fail, fall, die trying. In spite of everything you've done for them, eventually they will hate you. Why bother? Because it's right. Here's the real truth. There are eight million people in this city. And those teeming masses exist for the sole purpose of lifting the few exceptional people onto their shoulders. You, me, we're exceptional. I could squash you like a bug right now, but I'm offering you a choice. Join me. Imagine what we could accomplish together. What we could create. Or we could destroy, cause the deaths of countless innocents in selfish battle again and again and again until we're both dead. Is that what you want? Think about it, hero! So, 2002, Sam Raimi. I mean, this movie blew my socks off. It, it At that time, especially, you know, you can see the cracks on X-Men. Mm-hmm. Now, of course. And I think like Spider-Man was so much better. You know, looking at it right now, so much better, so much more successful than X-Men. It's just uh, more of a Spider-Man movie than X-Men was an X-Men movie. Because yes. X-Men was, I mean, I know that people like to say that Blade was the start of it all. I don't really buy that. I think that X-Men happens without Blade. Um, you know, Blade is a good movie. I enjoy that movie, but mm-hmm. I do not feel like that had really any impact on the superhero movie boom. Personally, I feel like X-Men started it all. And that was still them being trepidatious and trying to normalize superheroes, like with the right. costumes and everything. Sure, sure. But then Spider-Man just is like, okay, I, I see what you did there, X-Men. Now I'm going to go in the opposite direction and be full-on campy superhero. Right. Um, I agree. I mean, you have to do Spider-Man the way they did it. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can normalize it. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what you would think about doing with the costume if you were trying to Brian Singer it. Yeah. Like, I remember that being a concern of mine back in those early days of like, okay, X-Men was popular. Now they're going to do a Spider-Man movie. And like, at the time, I even remember being in kind of denial, and I don't hate the X-Men costumes from the first movies, but I remember being like, oh, I like them. I like the more like realistic costumes. Like, nowadays, at this point, like however many, 10 or more X-Men movies in, I'm ready for uh, the Fox-Marvel deal to be done so Mm -hmm. that I can see Wolverine in a fucking yellow costume. Sure, sure. 
But, um, you know, with Spider-Man, I don't even know what you would try and do to yeah, try and quote-unquote normalize him. Yeah, I mean, just... maybe what they did in Amazing Spider-Man with, like, the slightly redesigned suit. Kind of. like a more, But like, even that is it's still a skin-tight red and blue costume. I mean, it's not that far right. off. Right. Um, circling back to what you said about Blade real quick, uh, it, it'd be an interesting conversation to have. I'd love to know... Like a little more, because I agree with you. Like, I think X Men was actually the boom, where you know that was like the big bang where it all started. I'm curious just to see. I'd love to like, you know, I always talk about like being a fly on the wall with the Hollywood stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if actually the success of Blade was instrumental at all with someone like pushing X Men to finally come out. I'm curious. I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with it, but the way I've always perceived it is, even with their quote-unquote realistic costumes and everything, um, X-Men is like full-on superpowers. We are a team of superheroes fighting a Mm supervillain. And Blade, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think it's feasible that somebody who doesn't know it's a comic could watch that and have no idea it's a comic because Blade is like an anti-hero. Him even being a vampire doesn't really feel like a comic book-y thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, characters have powers because they're like supernatural beings, but it doesn't really ring of a superhero per se. True, true. Um, and maybe that had something to do because of all the black leather and everything with the direction that they went with the X-Men. Although I would still say that that potentially had, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the timing was. Uh, X-Men came out in 2000, I believe. And the matrix came out in 99. 99. I, I still feel like the matrix had a bigger influence on the X-Men than blade did. I mean, just thinking back to like, you know, I was graduating high school in 2000 and, you know, those were all just kind of popular looks, and I think Matrix is what really did it. So I'd agree on yeah. that. Um, you can't put mu- you can't put Blade in much else than that. I think, mm-hmm. but once the Matrix came along, then it was like, oh, okay, we got to put everything in this. Yep. So long, like black leather is mm-hmm. the way to go. The way to go. <laughs> but yeah, with Spider Man, can't do that. No. So looking back on this movie, I haven't seen it in quite a while. Um, I feel like I rewatch this entire trilogy once every like three years. Oh, not me. I, it just like, I love these movies so much, including the third one, which we won't get into really because that could take up a whole like yeah. 20 minute debate potentially. Yeah, for your sake, we won't get into that. <laughs> but I mean, maybe down the road sometime on another episode. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I, I get the urge to watch these movies and indulge myself every couple of years. And mm-hmm. I love doing the trio um, almost back to back or like back to back over three days or something. Sure. This is the first time in many years that I've watched just one of them and oh, not nice. the other two. It's um interesting for me because for a long time I was like firm um of the mindset that Spider-Man 2 was the best comic book movie ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that for me, that was that was it for quite a long time. Yep. Um, but yeah, back to the first I mean, the first one, it's almost it's so authentic to Spider-Man that mm-hmm. I'm still surprised to this day that we got something so close to the comics. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of blows your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't have known. And really, even right now, I know he was in, like, Cider House Rules and a couple of other things. But, like, Tobey Maguire had no idea who he was at the time, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, probably just because uh, I saw the movie when I did and I've seen it so many times over the years, he is, like, the quintessential comic book version of Peter Parker on film to me. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I may or may not like another actor who has played the character more just for whatever reasons, like context and all aside. Yeah. Tobey Maguire, I think, captured the comic book Peter Parker extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, obviously at the time I didn't know all the stuff about, like, what was the nickname for him and, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and those other young guys at the time who were just, like, fucking anything that moved. Uh, it's not like it was whatever. I can't remember, but whatever it was, it was a moderner version of like Brat Pack. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about any of that and like all the jockeying between all of them to try and steal the role from one another and everything. I just know that when it came out, just straight up Tobey Maguire's performance was like exactly what I wanted or needed to see as Peter Parker in a movie. And, um, you know, for the most part, rewatching it now. I still think his performance holds up. Um, I know people like to make fun of him in like memes for like how stupid he looks when he cries and stuff, but right. Um, I don't know. He's still comic book classic Peter Parker in a movie for me in my eyes. Yeah, it's one of those things he, uh, at the time, he never would have been on like my list to for picks for Spider Man. It's mm-hmm. almost like you know Keaton as Batman. I feel like people, you know at the same times would have had the same reactions. Like, how are you going to pick that guy? And then ends up being the perfect pick. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Toby Maguire. Like I have to agree. I think he was a great Peter Parker. You know, it's very, it's very, I feel like the first Spider-Man, the way Sam Raimi did it, it feels like a timeless movie. Like it's not overly modern in any way or technology wise or, to a degree, I would agree with you. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not doesn't look like it's the '60s, but yeah, like to a degree, yeah. it feels like um, it doesn't feel like super in the moment of when the movie came out, as far as style of dress for a lot of the characters. Like, I think of all the kids, like of all the characters in the school, Flash Thompson is the one who places it firmly in the late '90s, early 2000s with his look. And like yeah. his his spiky hair and everything. Spiky hair. I think he's got a wallet chain in there somewhere. And... Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that like button down shirt look that he has. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, everyone's driving like old cars. And even when Flash gets a new car and pulls up to Mary Jane's house when she's talking to Peter and is like, hey, take a ride in my new car. It's not like a new car for the year 2002. It's like... It almost looks like a classic car to me. Well, it is. It's like a, it's a Plymouth Prowler, which mm. is a '90s, late '90s car that came out that looked supposed to look like a '40s, '50s hot rod. Yeah, I think that that all comes down to Sam Raimi because the best, to the best of my knowledge, he was like a fan of Spider-Man comics from back in the day, mm-hmm. and right down to how like uh, kind of corny old school like 1960s he kind of made peter parker instead of like modernizing him too much i think that we can uh thank sam raimi for a lot of those decisions that make it as uh timeless as you mentioned it is yeah 
100%, I think. Because he was a big comic fan, I believe. Doing a little research, I read somewhere that him getting the job, I think, for, I want to say it might have been A.V. Arad, like, was the one that was kind of instrumental in him getting the job because he knew Sam Raimi had, like, a, you know, 25,000 issue collection of comic books or something. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but then, like, you know, I would also say that, uh, like, J. Jonah Jameson and his portrayal and, like, the old-timey newspaper room feel of the Daily Bugle, mm-hmm. that is probably a lot down to uh, Sam Raimi as well. Yep, yep. Um, the one thing that really doesn't feel classic is the look of the Green Goblin to yeah. me, which uh, I remember not being a big fan of at the time. Um, you know, it is what it is now. I still dream of a day when we'll get to see something closer to what Amalgamated Dynamics was working on with like the animated Green Goblin mask face combo. tell Tell the people. I mean, if you have not seen the test footage for this and you are a fan of comic books or superheroes or Spider-Man, you have to go to YouTube uh, look up the company Amalgamated Dynamics run by Alec Gillis and uh, Tom Woodruff Jr., former acolytes of the Stan Winston Special Effects Studio, and look up their Green Goblin test mask that they made. Uh, it is incredible, and I just have dreams of mm-hmm. seeing a movie with that in it. It's got, it's mind-blowing. For, for today, forget 2002. <laughs> yeah, just... Mm. It's so cool looking. And it is flat out the opposite of what they ended up with. Yeah. I mean, I can use logic to justify what they did in the movie, except for the mask. Um, You know, like the whole concept that Norman Osborn's company is developing this glider and that the suit is like half armor and half, you know, somehow built to make using the glider easier or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like meant to go with the glider and it's like a military trial thing. That all makes sense. Um, You know, the green and purple colors, notwithstanding, the mask is the one thing that I don't get. It's a mystery to me on the same level of of Peter Parker going from his, like, homemade wrestling suit to how and, like, Mm. why and where did he get that that Spider-Man costume that he wears throughout the rest of the movie. Not explained, don't really care. It's just like in the comics, you know. Yeah. But that goblin mask uh, that's, like, molded metal, mm-hmm. how and where and why? Did, like, did Oscorp develop that? Well, yeah, see, this is it's something I picked up on more this time around. Originally, I, I don't remember if I loved it or hated it. I didn't see the Amalgamated Dynamics thing for a very long time. Yeah, I think it was, you know, very hush-hush for a long time. Very, and they, very long they time. They put it out online. I want to, I don't. Right now, it's very Power Rangers-esque to me, which I don't think at the time I was too hard on it. I think I was still just happy there was a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, same here. I I think that the Power Rangers feel, which I definitely agree with, though, comes down to, you know, you can't see a person's face when they're emoting. So it's just a lot of broad hand movements and, like, bouncing your head up and down to show that you're talking. Because even the Spider-Man mask... I remember that being something that I complained about about the movie, despite how much I loved it, is that when Spider-Man talked with the mask on, you didn't see his face move because right. to keep the mask looking like 
perfect and rounded. They had like a piece of plastic inside the mask, which uh, meant that his like mouth, his jaw didn't move the mask. Which is actually something I think they fixed on the sequel. They definitely fixed it at some point. I don't remember exactly when. Yeah, it was one of them where they, because I remember like watching the behind the scenes that they, they added a kind of joint between the jaw and the rest of the head. So you could see that. I mean, the the Spider-Man costume is amazing from Mm -hmm. this movie. You know, the raised webbing, it looks dated now. Yeah. But I mean, when you've seen other costumes since. Of course. Even the uh, classic Spider-Man costume from Amazing Spider-Man 2 looks incredible. And But, mm-hmm. I mean, again, for all intents and purposes, this is the Spider-Man costume, just, like, slightly stylistically different. Right. But, yeah, for the time, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. The There was a, something I noticed watching it this time around that I had forgotten that... Basically, he's he's dubbed the Green Goblin by the Daily Bugle. J. Jonah Jameson, yeah. So it's weird to me, like you said... Once he's, you know, flying around, blowing up Quest Dynamic, uh, was it Quest Aerospace? Yeah. That, you know, at that point he has a goblin mask. Why is he wearing a goblin mask? Who the hell knows? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think they, they try and sprinkle in details that would m- make you be able to reason why he has a crazy mask. Because in Norman Osborn's penthouse apartment or whatever, in like his fancy ass smoking room, there he has a wall of like tiki masks and stuff, mm-hmm. which almost gives you the impression he's into that kind of stuff anyway. And so yep. when he becomes the Green Goblin, because they they make it a very specific like multiple personality situation in this movie, in this incarnation of the character, when he becomes the Goblin, I guess there's still something subconscious in there that he likes like freaky masks. But yeah. I don't I I don't I don't get hung up on it too much, but it no, is one of those I mean, things that just makes you scratch your head. Like, where the fuck did he get that helmet? Later on in the movie, I think before the final climax, the last time he's in his apartment that you see him. Mm-hmm. So it's not in that smoking room. It's in like kind of the foyer near the stairs. It's far away, but there's like a big kind of like goblin looking head that uh, this was the first time I had noticed it. Mm. That I watched at some point, I'll remind you just, to, or I'll watch it again so I could show it to you. But I was almost like, "Oh, I wish they showed that closer up," because I would almost feel like that's exactly where it came from. Yeah. But you know, like you said, regardless, it's one of those. You know, there's plenty of movies where, you know, someone else is naming a character because that's just like what makes sense for the movie. Mm-hmm. Rather than someone to be like, I'm the Green Goblin, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally happy with the way that they yeah. handled it. Yeah, I'm fine with, it. and actually love the glider design when they yeah. first show it, and the guy's like testing it before it becomes Green Goblin. The whole thing, like, I'm really, I really like that quite a bit. Yeah, I'm cool with the design of the glider. It's a little more complicated, but it seems a little more realistic at the same time as well. Right. I mean, just make that's kind of one of those movie things where. You know, they like to, if if it's a moving picture, you can throw in the moving parts to make something more interesting. I think mm-hmm. that worked in this regard for sure. Yeah. Um, as far as like plot progression and the actual story of the movie, I think it's relatively simple. It moves at a good pace, but it's not too rushed. So you have time for um, character development scenes, a lot of stuff between like Harry and Mary Jane, or I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Peter and Mary Jane, and Harry and Mary Jane a little bit. But, uh, you know, Peter and Aunt May, 
Um, I think that the origin stuff at the beginning of this movie is very strong. And uh, I've always liked Rosemary Harris as Aunt May and Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben. Sure, sure. Um, You know, when they have that scene in the car with Peter and Uncle Ben, which is like the last time he's alive Mm -hmm. before he gets shot. um, That's a great scene. Um, Good, you know, use of the whole great power, great responsibility thing. Yep. And I think that that not that you see it in Homecoming, but as far as the origin usage and the way to really give Peter that guilt for what happened, mm-hmm. I think it's like it's handled perfectly in this movie. Yeah. You know. It just occurred to me though, <laughs> one other thing that kind of dates it to when it came out is uh uh the bad guy um who robs the mm. the wrestling uh mm-hmm. organization. And his fucking hairdo. <laughs> yeah, he's got those kind of frosted tips. Oh, uh, it's not even M&M. frosted tips. No, it's, it's like he's got like uh, dark hair around the sides, and then the top is all bleach blonde and spiky. Yeah, just a kind of gross look. Sure, sure. No, that's a good point. But all that stuff, like uh, when I don't know if this is like directly from the comic or not. I'm thinking not, but uh, the guy when the the wrestling promoter guy like won't pay him and he's like i don't see how that's my problem and then peter throws that back in his face at the elevator and all that i love it yeah Um, i don't i don't i don't remember exactly that part one of the comics i had that i reread i had one of those like marvel masterwork like reprints of amazing fantasy 15 mm -hmm. which i've read you know a hundred times like i used to read it all the time looking back to it i can just used to think how weird it looked because the art was so old yeah, but I can't remember exactly that part. Yeah, I kind of doubt that that specific line is in there. Sure, but, uh, I like that moment. Oh yeah, it's great. It's like perfectly scripted, I think. Um, but then yeah, just like the the progression of the of the rest of the film and like the motivations of uh, Green Goblin and everything, I'm I'm into. There is some goofier stuff like. Uh, the scene where the Green Goblin attacks the Daily Bugle and he. Like gases Spider Man. That's a little corny. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. the the scene I feel like could probably be excised from the film is the the fire when Green Goblin is like screaming like a woman and dressed mm-hmm. up in like a shawl. Yeah. Um. You know, fun little action scene and it sets up the uh, the great uh, Thanksgiving dinner scene where Peter's right. like hiding on the ceiling and he the drop of blood falls and Norman is putting it all together. I love all that. Sure. Um, and a, then, the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I agree with the goofiness. The, it's campier than I remember, but it's also because it's all I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's those scenes. It's it's like when Goblin attacks Aunt May, and it's like he makes her finish praying and all that. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, it's so Super corny. Super. I love how corny Green Goblin is, though, like... Right down to the fact that during that um, Unity Day festival or whatever with Macy Gray, which is the other thing that dates the movie is her <laughs> right. being in it. Right. Um, at the end of that scene when Spider-Man like fucks up the glider and Goblin's going out of control before he flies away, he actually yells uh, something to the effect of, We'll meet again, Spider-Man! Yeah. Well, I'll get, I'll <laughs> Sounds get like you, it's out of an old serial. Oh, yeah. Which 100% is Sam Raimi, I'm sure of yeah. that. Coming from the guy who made, like, Darkman. Oh, for sure. I mean, Darkman, 
there's like this the couple times where like Peter Parker is like thinking about getting money from the wrestling and he has like those visions of like Mary Jane and getting a car and it's oh, like the, yeah. the spinning things like that's I like another grew up I loved Dark Man. I used to watch Dark Man all the time. So I can remember even seeing Spider-Man back. Like, man, this is like he pulled that right out of Dark Man. Yeah, he loves to do those like montagey things. Mm-hmm. Um and then so you get to the climax and it's yet another kind of corny thing, but it feels sort of classic at the same time. Just Green Goblin offering Spider-Man the choice of who do you save and Yeah. Um I like the way that plays out for the most part. Never loved the New Yorkers on the bridge throwing shit at Green Goblin. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yeah. And I feel like I could still do without that. It's. I feel like that's just very like post 9-11, yeah. you know, unity kind of thing. The weird thing is, though, um, and we can get into it when we get there, but uh, like they do that corny moment in the first Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, they have another corny moment when Spider-Man saves the train and then everybody's like passing him over them like Jesus mm-hmm. into oh, the yeah. train. Yep. Um, and everyone agrees like they won't say who he is or whatever. I don't remember off the top of my head if there's a scene like that in the third one, but there's a scene like that in um, in uh, Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is one of my least favorite parts of that movie. It's weird that they felt the need, like we need to continue having these corny like you know, New York unite kind of moments. And I'm glad that they dropped that shit by the time they got to homecoming personally. Right. right. But, um, we probably ought to move on to amazing Spider-Man, but very quickly, I want to give you a little rapid fire. Just get your feelings here on a couple of things. Hit it. Uh, Harry Osborn, James Franco. What do you think? Uh, good. I liked his progression throughout the three movies. I mean, I like I didn't know him from anything, so he was new to me in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, play the role fine, I'd say. Yeah, I do feel like I like him a little more in Spider-Man Two when we get into him some more. But um, sure, he's just he's so weird in this first one. But that's just James Franco, and we'd come to find that out later. Yeah, yeah. But from scene to scene, it's almost like he has multiple personalities and and is playing different characters or something. Yeah, he could be. He's kind of like his uh, dialogue is there for for story progression more than yeah character progression. Mm-hmm. Um, special effects. How do you feel that they hold up on the whole? Uh, on the whole, I think they hold up pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't feel I was looking I was certainly looking there's a lot less web slinging than I remembered mm-hmm. but I think it's maybe because I think they ramp it up more in the sequel yeah um, but what's there looks good um, there's some transition parts where you can tell where it like goes from old, you know older CG to live action yeah there's but some rubbery looking Peter Parker's and Spider-Man at different times in the movie. A little bit, but I think you know I noticed more with uh Green Goblin. I feel like I noticed more with Spider-Man personally. Oh, no, I did. Yeah, there was a couple times I was it was for me it was more Green Goblin, but for 2002 for today it's still yeah, it's still not nearly whole, as cringy as some stuff from that time for sure. S- still on the whole looks very good and holds up. Um I feel like as time goes on, I notice 
the green screen compositing more and more where things in the foreground don't really look like they belong in the background and the lighting is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the swinging stuff also looks a little dark now, but I mean, we've come so far with special effects. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where if I hadn't seen Spider-Man Homecoming recently, I might not have noticed it as much in the original. Right, right. And um, f- fight scenes and action in general. How do you feel this movie handles fight it? scenes and action in general... Like, think about the final confrontation when Green Goblin and Spider-Man are fighting in the, uh, like, that abandoned building by the bridge or the Unity Day festival stuff. I guess it's fine. It's a lot It's a lot shorter than I remembered, especially the climax. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little kind of taken aback how much kung fu Green Goblin knows. <laughs> yeah. You know, um... Spidey's fine. I mean, he's he's mostly just throwing punches and doing some acrobatic stuff. But the the Green Goblin kung, it was just more. I was like, damn, now he really looks like uh, the Green Ranger or something because he's like straight up jump kicking, you know, Spider Man yeah. in the chest. Yeah, uh, that's definitely a standout moment in that final fight scene. Yeah, um, which is kind of one of those things. If you if you wanted to get worked up about it, you could be like, oh, just now he's crazy and you know. That's suddenly he knows Kung Fu, but yeah, whatever. I just remember at the time being like, oh my God, they captured Spider-Man and his movements and everything so perfectly. And again, it's a case of we have seen where, like how far it can go now. So looking back on this one, just Spider-Man, you know, he's swinging through the city and, you know, that's still a very Spider-Man thing. But when he's fighting, um, it's a lot more Power Rangers-y feeling, just like two people standing and punching. With right. like a flip here and there, with like a lot of like people are on uh, wire work getting thrown across rooms and yeah, each room getting thrown into a brick wall or two, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a different time. Whatever, it's not. It doesn't deep six the whole thing for me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not docking points for it. Just um, it is a thing that you come to certain realizations over time and with you know progression in other films. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, one more thing really quickly, uh, Kirsten Dunst, Mary Jane, how do you feel? Uh, I like her. She okay. is the thing that I feel like as time goes on, I notice more and more how bad she is. Mm. <laughs> like, I would really hate to be lumped in with the people who back in the day were like, oh, she's the worst thing about it. She like ruins the whole movie, like less of the girl or whatever. Because I feel like that was a thing back in the heyday oh, of this yeah. franchise I mean, I, that people I've, just shat all over her. Okay, I'm fine with it. I mean, it, she as far as like the struggling actress part, I mean, like you know that was like true to the comic. I felt so. She's another one that's a little like James Franco, where sometimes I just don't know where her fucking motivation is as the character. Like yeah. she's saying lines, and I'm not really believing it. And she does this weird thing. Where it's like when she's trying to be like emotional and sentimental, her eyes, it's like she's not squinting. It's almost just like she's letting her eyelids droop. I I don't even know how to describe it, but it's weird. Like in the final scene with her and Peter in the cemetery, Mm -hmm. um, I guess she's supposed to be sad, but it almost looks like she's drunk to me. I was just going to say, I was like, I think Millsy's about to say that she looks like she's drugged (laughs) because I could see that now that you say it. I mean, yeah. I even like this time I was I was kind of surprised I forgot about her, like her lines of dialogue where she's like 
you know, the Green Goblin was about to kill me, and all I could think about was seeing you. Yeah. And, and I don't feel like they really earned that. No, that not sentiment, at all. Which... All I could think is, will I ever get to see Peter Parker's yeah. face again? I don't know if I fault her for that or the script. I mean, I think she's fine in it, but... Yeah, I, she's another one like Tobey Maguire. Couldn't have told you what she was in like prior to this movie or like mm-hmm. right before it even. But it felt like she was one of those it girls at the time and... Yeah, for sure. Like, she's fine. She's like grandfathered in for me. But... um. Whereas Tobey Maguire, like, is my Peter Parker, I feel like, at least the classic comic version of him, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it would be very easy for someone to come along and unseat Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane for me. It's true, yeah. I mean, they had plans for in the next, you know, in the Amazing set, but... Yeah. Well, let's happened. use that as a segue Dance. and jump into Amazing Spider-Man. Um, what is her name? The actress from the Divergent series. Um, she uh, was Shay- actually Shay- Shailene Woodley. I yes, think? Shailene Woodley. She actually filmed scenes for Amazing Spider-Man Two. Um, but then they or was it the first one? I think it was the second one. I think it was the second one. And then they ended up just cutting her out entirely. Which mm-hmm. I think, not to get too much into Amazing Spider-Man Two, I'll just say this and we'll put a cap on it. I think it was probably smart considering you wanted to focus on the relationship between Peter and. Uh, Gwen, right? Uh, since she was gonna die in that mm-hmm. movie, but um, so Amazing Spider-Man, um, the Sam Raimi franchise ended in 2007. There was all this talk they were gonna do a fourth one. From what I recall, Sam Raimi wanted to do the Vulture. Uh, everybody's Correct. contracts had ended, but all the main players were like, "If Sam Raimi comes back, we'll come back," and everybody had signed on. And yes. then I don't really remember why I like. I they, don't think Spider Man Three performed that bad, did it? Was it just like poor word of mouth after that movie, or I what? It I think it was poor word of mouth. It had, I mean, that it had started to get like that early, not quite meme status, but like the mm. you know Saturday Night Fever Peter Parker from the third one, and like the you know with the hair and all that stuff, like his. Mm-hmm. His evil alter ego, I feel like that that was like goofed on a lot, like by people. I would agree. And also probably the, you know, the studio interference in case it was the last one forcing him to put Venom in there. And then the whole movie sure. does feel like a little bit more cobbled together. Yeah, and I they, guess people noticed that. He I think they everyone confirms they forced him to put Venom in. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I don't I mean, think Sam Raimi has ever hidden that fact. No, I think that's pretty well known. Um, you know, they, he, they were working on the fourth one. Scripts were done. Uh, contracts had been re-upped where I think at least Tobey Maguire and Carson Dunst were going to make, and Sam Raimi, I think they were all yep, going to They make were all coming back. Cause I remember I followed this very closely at the time. Yeah. They were all um, getting 30 million for the movie a piece. And the con- yeah, the contracts were up, and all the actors were just waiting for Sam Raimi to say yes, and they mm-hmm. were all basically saying, if he does it, I'll do it. Right. And then he signed on, so did they. It was going to happen, and then poof. Script- yeah, scripts were done, and I think it just wasn't, it wasn't progressing like Sam Raimi wanted it to, like the studio wanted it to, and I guess apparently... 
they had kind of already been re- planning a reboot at that point. Mm. Like they, I think it was like back office kind of work was going on to maybe revitalize it a bit. You know, because yeah. I think it was just starting to show cracks after the third one. The second one, you know, we won't get into it for the show, maybe in a future episode. But, I mean, the second one, any any issue I had with the first one, which I feel like we could have even talked more about the first one. I could talk for, for another sure. hour about the first one, but we but have the, two more movies to discuss. Yeah, all the the issues I had with the first one, I feel like were rectified with the second one. Yeah. From what I can remember, it's been a while. But yeah, regardless. I still perceive the second one as being pretty close to a perfect superhero movie. Yeah. Um. So I think, but then you know, some of that was undone by the third one, and it just it was yeah. ultimately it was Ra- Sam Raimi's decision to let it go, and told mm-hmm. he told Sony, you know, I don't like where this is going. I don't want to waste my time and your money. So they kind of you know appreciated that and broke it off amicably. And at that point. Work was already being done on Amazing Spider-Man. I think they, I think someone that had worked on the script for Spider-Man Four, like jumped right into Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, there is a alternate universe out there. I would love to visit sometime where Spider-Man Four exists and see Mm -hmm. what that could have been. Yeah, I, I'd love to see, uh, you know, into the Spider-Verse Four. That's actually just Sam Raimi's (laughs) Spider-Man Four. Yeah, that would be. That'd be fascinating. Sure. But um Yeah, so then five years later, Amazing Spider Man comes out. George, why don't you tell us about your day? Oh yeah, Dad, did you catch that spider guy yet? No, we didn't catch him yet, but we will. He's an amateur who's assaulting civilians in the dead of night. He's clumsy, he leaves clues, but he's still dangerous. He's assault he's assaulting people? I'm not sure. I mean, I saw that video. Him and the car thief, and I, th- I think most people would say that he was providing a public service. Most people would be wrong. If I wanted the car thief off the street, he'd already be off the street. So why wasn't he then? <laughs> Let me illuminate you. See, the car thief was leading us to the people who run the entire operation. It's been a six-month-long sting. Or it's called strategy. I'm sure you're aware of the term strategy. You've Probably heard about that in school. Yeah. Good. Well, obviously, he didn't know you had a plan. You, you, you seem to know an awful lot about this case. You know something that we don't know? I mean, whose side do you want here? Well, I'm not on anyone's side. I saw a video on the internet. Oh. You saw the video on the internet. Well, then the case is closed. Well, no, I'm just saying if you watch the video, maybe you send you a link. It yeah, looks like it looks like he's really trying to help. Yeah, sure, on the internet, he's being made out to look like some kind of masked hero or something. No, no, I'm not saying he's a hero. I don't think he's a hero at all. I'm what just, are you trying to say? I'm saying he's trying to help, and it looks like he's trying to do something maybe the police can't. Something the police can't? I don't know. What do you think we do all day? Think we just sit around eating donuts with our thumbs no, planted man. firmly up our George, asses? Yeah, you think we George. do down there? Up your what, Dad? Howard. I think he stands for what you stand for, sir. Protecting innocent people from bad guys. I stand for law and order, son. That's what I stand for, okay? I, I wear a badge. This guy wears a mask like a, you know, like a like an outlaw. He's hunting down a bunch of criminals that all look the same, like he's got some sort of personal vendetta. But he's not protecting innocent people, Mr. Parker. Let's get some air, Peter. And, you know, big Spider-Man fan, as we've talked about. Um, one of my favorite superheroes. Loved all three and still to this day will defend Spider-Man 3 in the face of everybody who hates it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being very skeptical about 
Amazing Spider-Man and not particularly excited for it. Like this was not a first day, you know, got to be there and see it. I want to sure. say I saw it on like the the Monday or Tuesday after it came out, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% sure what to chalk that up to. Uh, how did you feel like going into the I think the I was reboot? just the same. I mean, you know, 2012, the Marvel MCU was underway. Right. So yeah, I that's think, probably part of it. We were all in MCU mode and I mean it's the same years Avengers. same year Avengers came out. So I can remember just being salty, like, fuck off, Sony. Like, you guys <laughs> don't deserve this. You had your shot. Look at how bad this amazing Spider Man costume looks. He oh, looks like a yeah. basketball. Like, what what are you doing? And then when you start to see the designs for the lizard come out, and it's like the lizard oh, has please. looked many different ways in the comics, several of them cool. And then in the movie, he ends up looking like one of the Goombas from the Super Mario I mean, Brothers movie. I don't know who said it first. I'm pretty sure I saw this with Joel, and he must either leaned over or at after it was over said, Lizard just looks like a Koopa from the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I cannot unsee it to this day. It's terrible. Yeah. I hate it. It's po- It's far and away... Of a lot of bad decisions in this movie, that's the top one. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't even temper the bad design by having him wear the uh, the purple pants oh. and the white uh, I mean, lab coat more. Why wouldn't you? I, I don't mean, know. Let's... He wears the white lab coat like in between action scenes sometimes. Yep. And then the scene where the, uh, the uh, police come after him and gun him down before he starts turning people into li- uh, lizard men... He wears the uh, the lab coat during that like, you know, mm-hmm. fifty sure. second scene. But I like, could... God, I would have loved to have seen him uh, wear the uh, the lab coat in the fight scene in the school, for example. I, sa- I said the same thing. I mean, you know, it, it gets shredded by bullets. It should have just been that get up the entire time. Yeah, I mean, you we we should have seen had the scene where, you know, uh, from the stump in that coat comes a reptile hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, it's just that I feel like I always think back to Michael Bay when he first made the first Transformers movie. And it's like, why did you give Optimus Prime lips? And it's like, oh, you got to make these machines emote for crying out loud or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, I feel like that's what they did with this terrible lizard design. Like, I don't have to see... You know, he doesn't have to have a mouth move like a person does. I don't have to see his, like, kind of human eyes. He should have looked like a creepy dinosaur with a lab coat. Yeah, he should have had, like, a snout. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He just looks so painfully generic. Yep. It makes me hate it. Mm -hmm. He's just, like, a nothing as far as a Spider-Man movie villain is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they... And I'd love to see... I think Lizard is a cool concept. Mm Mm-hmm. But they just blew it so hard that they, no one should touch it for a while. Cause they it's the just... kind of thing where like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has managed to take characters like Batrock the Leaper and mm-hmm. the Vulture, uh, who I didn't put much stock in, and then make them interesting and make them cool looking. So like, I would be all down to eventually see an MCU Spider-Man movie with the lizard in it. But mm-hmm. um, he is a character that uh, I like in Sony's hands. I was never excited to see the lizard because I don't know a ton about that character, and he doesn't feel like an A-list Spider-Man villain to me. 
without Marvel and Disney behind it. Yeah, I agree. But um, well, yeah. So I, so I wasn't crazy about the decision for him to be the villain anyway. I mean, he seems more of just like a brute villain to me, where he's just someone for Spider-Man to fight. Yeah, I mean, um, I see why they did it because of course it was too early to recycle. Yeah, you know. I mean, I do, villains. I do appreciate the fact that they tried to do something different. Oh, of course. Um, because there were a lot of things they didn't really do different in this movie, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but. Uh, one thing, as far as the lizard is concerned, that I would have liked to have seen more of that I never really thought about too much because that character, it's almost like the Hulk. Like, Bruce Banner's a smart scientist. He turns into the Hulk and then he just smashes. And I guess I always viewed the lizard the same way, but there's that one moment in the school when the lizard picks up, he's in like a chemistry classroom and he picks up like mm. two chemicals and mixes them and makes a bomb. Yeah. Like, I don't buy that there would be two chemicals that could be easily mixed to create an explosive in a high school, but I kind of would have liked to have seen more of that kind of stuff yeah. where the lizard was using like science and right. his his intelligence while also being a brute. Sure. No, that's a good point. I did actually notice that this time around too. I did like that as well. Yeah, I will say this is the second time I've ever seen this. First time since the theater. Same here. This, if I had to guess, it tops. This is the third time. I might have seen it another time since the theater. Yeah, this is definitely the second time for me. But well, um, circling back, this movie in general. Um. Yeah, there wasn't much excitement for it, and I can remember being disappointed by it quite a bit. Yeah, same here. You know. Just didn't have a whole lot of impact on me. Um, I mean, I'm a big physical media collector, and I still to this day do not own a copy of this movie. Mm-hmm. Same here. Um, it crushed my spirits a little bit to have to pay for it to rent it on Amazon because it wasn't available for streaming anywhere <laughs> for this <laughs> podcast. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, so, like, going back to the beginning of this film, um, we start with Spider-Man's origin again. Which, you know, they change it up just enough to not make it the same old thing, but really it did not feel like it needed to be done again. Um, Yeah, a lot of this movie I feel is just different for different sake. Yeah, like they were actively trying to do the same thing, but slightly different. Just like dress it up a little differently. Correct. One thing, how do you feel about the, uh, the addition of the, like, the parent, uh, sub uh, subplot with Peter's parents and like the mystery behind their disappearance and everything. Uh, it's worthless and pointless. It doesn't amount to much, especially in this first movie. But I gotta say that that is one like legitimate new thing that they added that I kind of appreciate them trying to do something different. No. Like they were trying to build their entire amazing Spider-Man universe around Peter's past with his parents and their past with Oscorp and. Like, everything was going to revolve around Oscorp, and after you see the second Amazing Spider-Man, you can see they were trying to do the Sinister Six and all that. Like, don't love these movies by any stretch of the imagination, but that is, like, the one thing that was, like, a unique difference with this franchise versus the Sam Raimi one that, while not amazing, like, gives it a little something extra for me. Not not me. I just I just didn't like I thought it was I thought it was overcomplicating his origin. It certainly does that. It's what that's just what's that is what ruined it for me because they made the you know, the radioactive spider closely connected to Peter, 
but also still kept it a completely like random occurrence that he was bit by it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's seems, a lot of coincidences in this of movie. But just seems like if you're going to tie him into the whole thing, I don't like that cuz I don't I think most superhero stuff is more interesting when it's just the the happenstance and just like the random chance that someone becomes you know, superpowered. Mhm. Where this, it's like they set it up to be, he was meant to be, but then no, he just happens to stumble into a room full of spiders. Dax, it was his fate. Yeah, please. <laughs> fate yeah, like I say, mean. I don't like particularly look at that stuff and love like the flashback scenes with his parents. It gets more into it in the second movie, which we're not reviewing right now, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Like, that is one little bit of flavor that I can look at the Amazing Spider-Man franchise and say that was them making an attempt at not just, like, I accidentally became Spider-Man and now I'm just going to fight a new villain every movie, you know, by chance. Like, that was them trying to build something. And at the end of the day, they never got a chance to really go all the way with it. And what they did get a chance to do didn't really work, but... I don't know. I give them props for the attempt. I mean, if it works for you, which is fine. I mean, I can even remember like watching the second one and saying to myself, just like every single thing is attached to Oscorp. And I didn't, yeah. I don't care for that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, teach his own. Yeah. I, I don't, like I say, I don't necessarily care for it, but it's something different. Like, it's certainly something different. Yeah. Um, you know, Death of Uncle Ben all over again. I think it was more effective in the previous film, but I do like Martin Sheen. I like Martin Sheen quite a bit. I think the stuff he gets with Peter is pretty good Mm -hmm. up until his actual death, which I think is laughably bad. (laughs) Yeah. That it's all, you know, Peter comes off more as just like a little bratty kid who didn't get his chocolate milk. Yep. Just the whole interaction with the, take a penny, leave a penny. Like that just wouldn't happen. It was so forced. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was, and that was where I was just like, this has to be different for different sake. And I just think it's just such a poor idea. Mm-hmm. I'm, I couldn't even believe it got into a script and like, you know, was signed off by enough people that it had to be, to be made. Yeah. You know why uncle Ben would fight this guy with the gun. Like, you know, it's just, there's so many, little parts to that the why would you even yeah it's just another instance of them trying to be different from the yeah. original and mm-hmm. in doing so they just had to complicate it yeah but the, and, and especially when you look back to the Raimi one how well that was handled and like i said earlier how how well they sold the idea that it was that was like peter's greed and ego is what got <laughs> ben killed yeah where in this one it was just the foolish, stupid chance, mm-hmm. you know, just bad, just bad all around. I agree. Um, Sally Field as Aunt May. I never really got into her as Aunt May personally for no, some reason. Uh, no, me neither. Um, I don't really know why. Maybe I just still had uh, Rosemary Harris in mind, but. I mean, she is like the comic book version, so it'll kind of always, yeah, come back to her. Um, 
Yeah, we already talked about the costume a little bit. I just think yet again it's them trying to be different and by mm-hmm. this by the second amazing Spider-Man they came to their senses and were like why mess with perfection? And they really did nail the costume the second time around. I, I want to see that one again because I can remember thinking the costume is so good. Yeah, it is. Especially it is really because this one, it's so bad. Yeah, I mean, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, like we talked about, like the eye design is a little different in the comics and the mm-hmm. webbing is raised and whatever. And then you get to Spider-Man Homecoming, which has awesome costumes all around. But they are updated and a little different. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the one instance of the full-on classic, like, comic book accurate costume, right. and it looks right. great. Yeah, to, with the Sam Raimi and this first Amazing Spider-Man, I noticed more now how, like, I don't really like the eye shape they went with in both of those, mm-hmm. which is something I, I'm pretty sure they fixed by Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Yeah, two really is like the Spider-Man yeah. costume. But just this one is just too much texture. It's again, it's just like going overboard. Mm-hmm. Forget the fact that the, no high school kid's going to make this thing to look this way. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier the uh, the sappy New York, like, you know, you mess with one of us, you mess mm-hmm. with all of us scene. In um, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, it defies all logic to me that in 2012 they still felt the need to do a scene like that with the fucking crane operators. Right. Yep. Plus, okay, so there are many things I have to say about this. Um, so Spider-Man is having trouble swinging and getting to Oscorp Tower because he a bullet grazed his leg. Right. Uh, in a previous scene, Spider-Man was fighting the lizard. And Lizard, like, slashed three giant slashes across Spider-Man's chest, which at first I thought was just him cutting the costume until we see the scene of Gwen, like, you know, putting, you know, medicine on his wounds or whatever. And he has giant cuts across his chest. Right. And for all intents and purposes, he seemed fine swinging around and doing whatever with those cuts on his chest. But one little bullet grazed to his leg and all of a sudden he can hardly walk and he can't, like, perform. Yeah. Then, okay, so earlier in the movie, Spider-Man saved this dude's son, uh, who is a crane operator. So he calls all the other crane operators, and they just, like, mm-hmm. put all the cranes out over this one street so Spider-Man can use them to swing. There are tall buildings on either side of the street. Sure. Why can't Spider-Man swing on those like he always does every other time? That makes no fucking sense to me at all. Because it's got to show that... Uh... I, you know, New York coming together for their boy. I don't like love this movie anyway, but I despise this sequence. It is just utter nonsense and does not need to be there at all mm-hmm. for any reason conceivable. Just hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, by that point, you're so checked out with this movie. Yeah. I mean, when they do that, it's just eye roll anyway. Just, I'm not, like, invested in whatever the lizard is up to. Like, the the basic premise and, like, the body horror concept of, you know, I'm trying to heal my wounds by using lizard DNA or whatever. Like, cool idea. I'm fine with that as the origin. But then as soon as it turns into, like, a Magneto in the first X-Men movie, I want to make everyone like me with a sci-fi, you know, mishmash machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just do not care. Nope. Um... 
I, I don't know, just the lizard's plan. Like that's that's part of my problem, and why I said that I never really viewed the, the lizard as being like a main villain kind of character. Mm-hmm. Because, like, what is his goal? Like, he turns into a monster, and then he's just a monster. But then they make up this story where he wants to turn everybody into a lizard because that's right. going to, like, save humanity or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's bad idea. Again, should never have been in the script. Just come up with something different. Yeah, it's just half-baked and yeah. just the, not not worth being the plot of a Spider-Man movie. The, the only upside to that part of it is personally for me because I was watching this movie young Megan was with me at the time watching and as soon as those cops started to turn into lizards Mm -hmm. she says oh dip lizards in the streets (laughs) so it made me laugh I think I might have high-fived her you two were meant for one another (laughs) correct (laughs) so I was like I'll never forget that one (laughs) um they spend a lot of time on the origin like even if they're going to redo the origin i think it could have been quicker but Mm -hmm. like gwen stacy's dad is seemingly they're trying to make him an important part of the story um and he doesn't show up until like the second half of the movie which seems weird to me um played by dennis leary captain stacy Um, and then all of a sudden they're trying to cram him into every other scene. And as though Peter has known him for a long time, um, you know, as much as this movie tries to be different, um, the dinner scene with, uh, Captain Stacy, uh, Mm -hmm. feels a little too close to the Thanksgiving scene in the first Spider-Man, which was so good. Um, I don't know, just that could have been an interesting character, but he's not given enough to do. And then he just turns on a dime too quickly at the end and is like, here, Spider-Man, let me help you out. Let me be the right. one cop who goes up to the roof of this building to help you. And Right. Of course. I don't know. Just And then the end of the movie, they also do the same thing as uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies where Spider-Man won't let himself be with the girl that he loves because... In this case, allegedly, you know, because her dad told him not to. But, like, both of the movies end on, like, this melancholy, I want to be with her, but I can't because of some sense of responsibility. It just is too much the same movie, but not as good, I feel, all told. For sure. And again, just, they, for whatever reason, had to rehash so much stuff, but just made some foolish decisions for, just for the sake of being different. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of Andrew Garfield? Never a fan of him as Peter Parker. In costume as Spider-Man, has a good body type, better than um, Tobey Maguire. Yes. More thin and gangly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his jokes and all, not bad. Um, but as Peter Parker, like with the kind of unkempt hair, like a little too good looking, I think, and a little too cool. The fact that he rides a skateboard and yeah, I guess they were trying to go with more of like a social outcast than a nerd, but right, just didn't feel like he would be the butt of everybody's jokes and all. Yeah, like even like the way he stands up to Flash Thompson in the beginning, like doesn't mm-hmm. seem like something Peter would do. Like again, yeah. like you said, I mean, they mean like the skater kid outcast, but. I don't know. I just don't. I don't think. I'm not a fan of him in this. No. 
same reason, like same things you said. Like he's got the look, and he's. I believe he was actually like a big Spider-Man fan in real life, so it was like mm-hmm. I'm sure it was exciting for him. But I don't think he had anything to work with as Peter, and even then, I don't feel like they they sold it as well because in this one it, it stood out to me more of like he really like kicks it up a notch with like the smart alecky stuff when he's in costume but there's none of that when he's out of costume yeah it just it kind of feels like two different characters i mean yeah the same could kind of be said for all versions of peter parker and the comic books and everything too like classically a little bit but, but even like the sam was... raimi movies like he gets pretty snarky when he's in costume he does by he does but i think when the, that one a little more towing the line and this one is where it just it pushes it too much for me yeah. anyway but if you could separate Peter Parker from Spider-Man and view them almost as two different characters. I think that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was a good Spider-Man. His Peter Parker was not a good Peter Parker. I'd agree. In a void. And I do, you know, we've, we've shit on this movie plenty. I do like that. I noticed this while watching it and then read about it after the fact, but there was a big push with this movie to do a lot of the stunts in real, like in camera, mm-hmm. with you know stuntmen and acrobatics and everything, because there's a couple of like little like hand to hand bits actually. Like when he beats up those cops, I think it was a good little scene. Well, I'll uh, say a big positive for me all around, um, and I didn't really remember this um, from the first time I saw it back in 2012, but um, even watching this in close proximity to Homecoming, which we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, I think that the actual action and choreography and fighting in this is extremely good. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, we were talking about how it's a little stiff and it's a little less ambitious and it's more of just people standing and punching uh, in between the swinging in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by the time you get to Homecoming, it's just mind boggling and exactly what you would expect Spider-Man swinging around fighting someone to look like. Right. And this feels like a huge stepping stone on the way to the the fighting in Homecoming. Definitely. Um, the scene, the fight scene in the school in this, I still really enjoy. Um, I just think it's, you know, number one, it's bright daylight, which I don't like the, you know, dark rooftop ending of this. It's another thing that feels too similar to mm-hmm. uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man when it's like dark ending on top of a bridge. Yeah. Um, but you know, bright daylight and just like an interesting environment. Um, got that fun Stanley cameo in there, which I love in the library. Uh, yeah. You know, I was, I actually put that in my notes. I do love, this is one of my favorite Stanley cameos in general. Yeah. It was just fun to see him actually in like part of the action and not just like saving some kid, pulling mm-hmm. him out of the way of some debris <laughs> or something. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I like that whole sequence, that whole fight scene. I find really, really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I did. Like I said, I read about it after the fact, but like they put a lot into the stunt work, and you could tell. I mean, there's real good acrobatic stuff. Yeah, when he's in costume, uh, he's, he does like some good. There's that part where he uh, earlier on where you know he pretends like he's like, oh no, not a knife. You know that like mugger right. or whatever, and he like kind of hits him with a couple webs. Like all that stuff looks good. It like. Garfield plays well as like the gangly, gangly and tall. Yeah, definitely. And then there's there's quite a few good uh, action bits. And um, something I can't believe we forgot to talk about uh, 
with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Do you remember how big of a deal it was and how weird it was to fathom the concept of organic web shooters? Oh, geez. Yeah. I I remember that being like a huge sticking point for me leading up to the movie and, you know, pretty much being okay with it after the fact because the movie is awesome. But like just thinking like at the now it's normal because in the comic he had organic webs for a while mm-hmm. and in the movies he had them but that was a completely foreign alien concept at the time and just how weird that is for like sure Peter su- Peter is super strong and all but for his body to create the webs that he shoots right just what the fuck is that and then like you know like i say i got over it but i was very happy when this came out to see that they were doing web shooters yeah, me too. I can. I don't think when I first saw the Sam Raimi one, I don't think not until I watched the movie did I know they were organic. Oh, uh, see, this is something like I remember reading about in Wizard magazine and like discussing with my friends and oh, everything. Yeah, see, like no, this I, was a I, big deal to me going in. I can. I remember uh, one of the buddies I went with and saw the Sam Raimi ones, like leaning over to me and saying, like, when he's when we saw that they were organic, and he was like, "Oh, that's whack" or whatever, and I was like, "Um." <laughs> I'm okay with that. Which, was that Joel or Tony? No, it was actually a different friend, <laughs> buddy Mike. Um, actually, I remember, that's why I remember going with him, because I remember him leaning over to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was okay with it at the time. I didn't, you know, I it was just kind of, you know, something different. Mm-hmm. I do like the web shooters, though. I mean, yeah. I like one thing I'll say, though, Spider-Man. is uh, I think they went a little overboard because every time he uses the web shooters, they light up. Did you notice yeah. that? Oh, yeah. And they make, like, a really loud, like, obnoxious, like, mechanical noise whenever he shoots yeah. them. And it's almost like they were overcompensating for the fact that they mm. used to be organic or something. I mean, I don't I don't hate the light part, but I, the, the, I did notice they were very loud and, like, almost like a puff cloud kind of comes out mm-hmm. of them when he used them. That was more... Uh, noticeable to me than the light. But it was cool that it gave the opportunity at the end of the movie for him to, like, those web shooters get broken and he's got to go without them for a little while. So. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so prevalent in the comics, like running out of web fluid or breaking the web shooters. Like, yep. that's just more interesting than him always having webs at his disposal. Mm-hmm. Plus, it was always, looking back, the Raimi one, it's like, oh, it's very convenient that they're on his wrists, not like, you know. Mm-hmm on his knees or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's do a quick rapid fire for this one. And then we can move on. What do you say? Hit it. Uh, Gwen Stacy, Emma Stone. Um, she's good. I don't know if she necessarily has too much to work with. She's a fine actress. I mean, I like Emma Stone. I love her. I think she plays it super cute and likable and, uh, she just has something that I think Kirsten Dunst is missing. Um, yeah, I mean, if it, you had to pick one over the other, I'd certainly go with Emma Stone. Yeah, I I know that uh, I definitely like her even more in uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two when her story with Peter like picks up some more. In this, she feels a little bit like a means to an end, and it feels like the whole her being conveniently working for. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, the bad guy, while at the same time also being the daughter of Peter's like police nemesis, it's it just feels like they were trying to shoehorn her in a little yeah. too much and it make feel, her important. It, it feels like very Lois Lane, like always in the midst of things. Yeah, I mean yeah. that was the case with uh, 
um, Mary Jane as that franchise went on as well. Like, it, it, I'm perfectly fine with uh, her being kidnapped in the first one because Norman figures out who Peter is, but mm-hmm. she does end up being involved in everything as that franchise goes yeah. on. But yeah. Um, Flash Thompson in this one. Um, Guy named Chris Zilka, who I know from nothing else. Yeah, same. Um, uh, it's pretty forgettable, really. Yeah, I something else I'll say about this one: how it like tries to be a little different. Like they leave Flash Thompson in the dust in the Sam Raimi movie. Mm-hmm. Um, after high school, uh, this one. I don't think that the actor is great or anything, and he's like too stereotypically asshole early on. But I do like what they tried slightly to do with once uh, Peter's tragedy with Uncle Ben happens, him mm-hmm. and Flash kind of become friends, which is it doesn't happen because of that in the comics, but he and uh, Peter do become friends in the comic yeah. book at some point. And I liked those couple of moments where, like, Flash would come up and put his arm around Peter in the hallway and they'd, like, walk off smiling together or whatever. Mm-hmm. That little element of it I enjoyed. Yeah. To me, it feels, I don't, I just don't feel like they earned it. Yeah. It's but... another thing where I wish we had more time to, you know, see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all for all intents and purposes, it's a good thing this franchise particularly didn't last true much true. longer um we already kind of talked about ant-man uncle ben a little bit um how do you feel about rezai fans the guy who played the lizard um yeah just i just feel like the lizard is handled so poorly in the entire movie that i'm not even sure it's his fault but mm-hmm. the whole just the entire thing leaves a sour taste in my mouth yeah Little moments like when Peter goes to visit him in his house or whatever, I think that the actor is fine, but anything actually dealing with the lizard I yeah, think is bad. He's fine, but you know, all just even looking back now, I close my eyes and I just see the goofy Koopa face. I don't yeah. even see him, you know. So And um special effects overall, how do they hold up for you? Uh it's pretty rough. I mean like I said before, I, I could notice a lot with what they did practically mm-hmm. fighting wise and acro- acrobatics wise. Cause there's the lizard stuff looks bad, looks rough, looks plasticky. Um, some of the Spider-Man stuff looks pretty good. I think lot- everything with Spider-Man for the most part looks pretty good. Yeah. A lot there of it's is dark, some, but yeah, there's some lizard stuff that looks pretty bad. Um, yeah. like the, all the ancillary stuff, especially like, the lizards walking around in the street and like the little lizard rat that they accidentally make in the lab and all just looks mm-hmm. really bad. And there's a lot of like New York skyline stuff that looks like video games. Mm-hmm. But, but that was the time, I mean, 2012, you know, there was, uh, you know, S- Sony wasn't hiring ILM. So <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on to our yes. third and final film? Please. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming from 2017. Mm-hmm. Previously on Peter Screws the Pooch, I tell you to stay away from this. Instead, you hacked a multi-million dollar suit so you could sneak around behind my back doing the one thing I told you not to do. Is everyone okay? 
No thanks to you. No thanks to me? Those weapons were out there and I tried to tell you about it, but you didn't listen. None of this would have happened if you had just listened to me. <laughs> if you even cared, you'd actually be here. I did listen, kid. Who do you think called the FBI, huh? You know that I was the only one who believed in you? Everyone else said I was crazy to recruit a 14-year-old kid. I'm 15. No, this is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. And if you died, I feel like that's on me. I don't need that on my conscience. Yes, sir. I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it doesn't matter. I understand. I just, I just want him to be like you. And I wanted you to be better. Okay, it's not working out. I'm gonna need the suit back. For how long? Forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. No, no, works. no, please, 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 Mr. Let's Stump, have it. You don't understand. Please, this is all I have. I'm nothing without this suit. If you're nothing without this suit, then you shouldn't have it. Okay? Gotta sound like my dad. Just yesterday, it feels like I went and saw this in the theater for the first time and had my fucking mind blown. Mind blown, officially. Yeah. I think Spider-Man works so much better when he's part of a bigger world. So for him to be part of the MCU just feels right. Yeah. You know, when he's, when, you know, of course it's because at this point I've, we've seen it three different ways now, but <laughs> as I'm rewatching the movies, it just, a Spider-Man as a character makes more sense when there's other masked characters running around. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could probably say that about all comic book movies. I feel like it probably does work that way for pretty much everybody. But like when you have that world, everything is a little more plausible instead of like in the Sam Raimi movies. Okay, I can buy that one guy turns into a superhero. Oh, and then like every six to 12 months, another random superpowered bad guy right. pops up in his vicinity for him right. to fight. Like, it does work better when they're all in a world together and, yeah, for you know, sure. the reason that the Vulture is a bad guy is because he's using technology that comes from the Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. And, like, that all works real well. Oh, real well. Um, Major highlight, no retelling of the origin. Who needs it at this point? Huge. You don't. If the one caveat to that is, of course... If we hadn't already seen these other two versions, yeah, people would, would be like, Where, where's the, you know, but yeah, hey, it worked out perfectly because it doesn't, you know, the ball gets rolling a lot faster. Mm -hmm. It got, it got him in civil war, which was great. So mm -hmm. all yeah. that just certainly worked out in our favor. Um, Peter Parker as a character, uh, not in a really, truly negative way. I would say that in contrast to Tobey Maguire, this isn't my Peter Parker. <laughs> um, I love Tom Holland. I love the version of Peter Parker and Spider-Man that they've created for him. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just in a testament to the writing and the acting that uh, they can change the character as much as they kind of did. Um, and he's still super likable and awesome because he is much more of like the cool, normal kid than the Tobey Maguire version, which is what it felt like they were trying to do with Andrew Garfield and just, it never quite worked. Yeah. Characters like flash will make fun of him and like call him penis Parker at the party and everything and like treat him like he's lesser. But then they're 
like Flash isn't your typical jock in this. He's like on the right. the science team, even though you know you yeah. hear references to how he's not actually that good. But like they're almost equals, and like you know he's they don't have like a nerdy haircut on him or anything. And mm-hmm. um, it's weird how they managed to find that middle ground where he feels like a normal guy but still works as like the aw shucks Peter Parker. Yeah, which is what I mean. I like that. I mean, this is my favorite portrayal because it's not when he's not in, when he's in costume, it's not like the ramped up slapsticky like it is in amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. This honestly does feel like the one instance out of these three franchises where the Peter in the costume and out of the costume feel like the same person. Like he's like jokey yeah. and charismatic in both instances. And that that's what I like. I mean, that just makes more sense to me. Yeah, it feels more like a real character, even if it is not, as I say, uh, right, like sticking as close to the character as perhaps the mm-hmm. Sam Raimi version does. Right. Which would be nice to see, hopefully, as these things progress, maybe that, you know, as his confidence grows in himself, that type of behavior can grow. But the way they portray in this, I think, is perfect. Yeah. And he's just, he, they, I, in this one, he feels most like what I picture Peter being like a super smart science kid. Mm-hmm. More so than the other ones, especially Amazing Spider-Man, even more, and Toby Maguire. I mean, Toby, they show him a couple times in classes. He just knows he's like encyclopedic knowledge of science bits. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it just feels more like a natural, like like curious kid who is like always learning. Yeah. Which is just more exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow it feels more natural. The fact that he's like on the science team, they spend so much time in high school. Um, I didn't read a ton about this one or any of these. Honestly, I felt, I felt uh, I didn't do as much research for this episode just because I feel like I know these characters and yeah. these movies for the most part so well anyway, but Same. I did happen to catch a little thing where, uh, so John Watts, the director, he had made Clown, which we've discussed previously, mm-hmm. and then Cop Car, which I was not a big fan of. And then uh, allegedly uh, he wanted to, like his next project is he wanted to raise the money to do like a, a teenage high school kind of like throwback to Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of movie. Mm, okay. And then the opportunity to make Spider-Man fell in his lap and then when they said we're going to take him back to high school yet again, he was like, "This is fucking perfect." Like that's why he wanted to make this movie so bad. Yeah. And nice. goddamn, if he did not pull off his intentions, because in addition to having awesome action and everything, I love how much this movie focuses on like the high school teenage life. Yeah. Whereas oh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, it feels like they couldn't wait to get out of high school and have them graduate into the real world. Right. And kind of the same thing with um, Amazing Spider-Man, because I, f- I believe that in Amazing Spider-Man 2, he's out of high school already. Yeah, I don't recall. But at least but, like um, this one, he's a, what, a sophomore, I believe? I think so. Yeah, which I think is great. You know, it's like a growing up reading the comics. By the time I started reading Spider-Man comics, he was married, like, just, you know, working for the Daily Bugle. Mm-hmm. So... I don't really have like a lot of, you know, there's no time like me read reading Spider-Man as a kid. So I've gotten that all from the movies myself. Yeah. 
So it's it was fun to see that here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you know I never really read Spider Man when he was a teenager either. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just like you know in the back of your head that's what he is or how he began for a long time, right. and it's like. I would love for this franchise to last long enough that he, you know, gets married and his life changes as Tom Holland grows oh, and everything. But I am happy to spend a little more time with like the having to juggle high school and dating and everything, Peter, as uh, well. Yeah. yeah, same here. Um, and then, I mean, as much as we can gush about. Tom Holland and all of the high school like romantic comedy kind of stuff, which is all great. Uh, I think putting the movie over the top for me is Michael Keaton as the vulture. I mean, far and away, he is interesting and terrifying all at once. Yeah, great, compelling actor who, mm-hmm. while having played like Batman in the past is great at playing villains. Oh, so good. And he is not just the, you know, as much as I like the corny, we'll meet again, Spider-Man, of mm-hmm. uh, the Norman Osborn in the Willem Dafoe Green Goblin. Right. Um, this is just like a a realistic kind of working man villain mm-hmm. with a real motivation. And, you know, it's a little corny and kooky, but... I mean, it's it's ramped up for a movie, but you could see the progression. Yeah, it has a grounded feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, this taking place in a universe with all the other crazy shit that, you know, Asgard and Captain mm-hmm. America and Iron Man and everything, uh, it feels completely plausible because they have built a universe like they have right. in the comics and the movies that a guy could put together with some mechanical knowledge, this fucking crazy ass, awesome flying suit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think you and I can agree that the design of the vulture is like the stuff of legend for you and I, it it, it is like, you know, like I love a good character design. Mm -hmm. Like it's one of the, like my favorite things just in life, be it comics, games, movies, like that's the stuff that really gets me going. So to take what we know of like the goofy comic version of the Vulture to be, I would say, barely intimidating <laughs> to to being most intimidating in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he just looks like a joke in the comics. And then this turns that on its head while still totally fits the name and even harkens back to the comic version with like the... The tuft like the, around his neck. The tuft around his neck is like the way they did it with a flight <sighs> jacket is just so... It's brilliant design. Oh, it just warms my heart with how smart of a decision it was. He's got the great mask, the, the green eyes. And just the you fact know, that it's not like, you know, much love to Falcon, but it's not just like a jetpack with wings. Correct. It, uh, it It's almost like a rudimentary biplane version mm-hmm. of... Like the advanced jetpack suit that the yeah. Falcon wears in the and, same and it's universe. Like, it's like scary when he's when they're on the Staten Island ferry and it's like he's like breaking through that van. Yeah. That's like terrifying. And I think a lot of it when he's in the suit has to do with the sound design. Cause watching it this time, I was noticing like they're using a lot of sound effects that don't sound like 
mechanical noises just to mm-hmm. pump it up. And it's kind of like, you know, they say when, uh, like in uh, Steven Spielberg's movie Duel, when the uh, the truck at the end of the movie careens off the cliff and quote unquote dies, like yep. at the end of the movie, they put in like lion roar noises and stuff <laughs> just to <laughs> like give it that feeling yeah. of like there's like more weight and substance to this than it just being a drivable vehicle. Sure. And God, the sound design mixed with the look of this thing and the stuff that it does. So good. God, I it's just I love the fucking vulture costume. <laughs> I mean, I I I have no problem saying just thinking right now from this is the for a comic movie, this is the best update from comic to movie. Yeah, as far as like was, a drastic update is concerned, yeah. like a complete change of direction, I would probably have to agree with you. I mean, it it was completely necessary and the execution was spot on yeah but at the same time if i could go to that alternate universe where they made sam raimi spider-man 4 i would love to see what he would have looked like in that and it was john malkovich (laughs) if i remember correctly (laughs) so yeah i mean i agree yeah but But, man and michael keaton just i love that guy he's charismatic and likable but at the same time scary yeah, uh, believable you, and just even sympathetic to a point. Yeah, you could not pull off that scene with Peter and him in the car on the oh. way to the dance with most other actors. I mean, not enough people talk about that. And even just the reveal that he's Liz's dad. Yeah. is was Blew my mind in mm-hmm. this movie. Did not see that coming for a second. Yeah. Rewatching then, the film, the only hint that you get, aside from him saying he has a family is uh, there's a scene before you find out that he's the uh, Liz's dad when um, there's a, like news footage playing on TV of the disaster that happens yes. in Washington, D.C. Yep. And he looks at the TV, and then he kind of furrows his brow in a weird way. He which, does have a reaction to it. that Yeah, which could just be read as, what's Spider-Man doing there, or something like that. But mm-hmm. man, they hit it so well. So well. And God, what a great scene in the car that it builds up In the car. I mean, Tom Holland, for a young dude, sure can act. But man, when when Keaton pulls that gun and just leans in on him towards the back, Mm -hmm. it's just so good. Yeah, Tom Holland is good at, like, extreme emotion. Even, like, down to his death scene in in, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Or, you know, in this movie, there's a couple of, like, pretty emotional scenes and... Mm -hmm. Like, like every time when he's talking to Ned and telling like you can't tell Aunt May like what she's been through, mm-hmm. you know I just can't do that to her. Like that's a good little bit. Or the part where he's trapped under the rubble at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that is a great scene. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to yeah. Tony. I mean, we just, haven't talked about Iron Man being in it, but yeah, you know all their parts together are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he just has this like willingness. And it's partially the writing, but partially his performance too. This willingness to like be a kid and like lose his cool mm-hmm. in a realistic way that just in like I don't know. It I get into the character more because of that. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, uh, you know, small parts for uh, Tony Stark and Happy Hogan. Love yeah. all that stuff. It's great. 
great way it's a great of weaving story, this just into the universe. Yeah, the overall just it's on the outskirts of what goes on in the Avengers with the Avengers Tower and mm-hmm. all the relics from the like the battles, like you said, like all that stuff is just candy in this movie. I love it. Yeah, I eat it up. Has like a cool sci-fi element to it because of all of that. That um, mm-hmm. you know, all the Spider-Man villains are all like technically sci-fi characters because they're right. science going wrong, but. Just like, you know, alien technology that's being, like, down and dirty, gritty, like, auto body shop transformed into, right. like, you know, street weapons. and mm-hmm. um, Yeah. God, there's, there's so many elements to this movie. Like, uh, this leads me to think of the Shocker. Yeah, I actually like uh, Bokeem Woodbine. I like him quite a bit as his fight scene in the bus yard. Mm-hmm. Like, he does some cool stuff rather than just, like, shooting shockwaves. Like, if he was in, like, a full costume would have been awesome. Yeah, when he, uh, like, punches that bus and the entire thing, like, spins on a pivot, that was awesome. Uh Um, The first uh, shocker, um, I didn't realize at the time when I saw it, not that I, you know, really would have cared, I guess, because the only thing I really knew him from at the time was Prometheus, but uh, Logan Marshall Green. Yeah. Well, now we know him from Upgrade, which yeah. we were both Now, a fan of. having seen and loved Upgrade, I'm, like, fully in the, the camp of, like, put this guy in more movies. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like him. But, yeah, Bokeem Woodbine. Um, do you watch or have you seen the Fargo TV show? I have. Yep. You've seen his season? I did. Season he was two, like correct? stand out in that show. Oh, and it yeah, was like yeah. super exciting when he got announced as being in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of hope we get to see more of him. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I, I would love, I mean, this is fingers crossed for the real geeks. Like just hoping that Sony lets Marvel keep making Spider-Man movies after the next one. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I would love to see him take on a sinister six, which is, you know, Vulture, Scorpion, Scorpion, Mysterio, Shocker, whatever else they can put in there. <laughs> yeah. Because I would love to see that Shocker with two of those gauntlets with the full getup. Mm-hmm. Just a, such a throwaway kind of character, but he's a cool look. Yeah, for some reason, Shocker, ever since the days of the cartoon, like I talked about, I always liked that character. Never mm-hmm. felt like he deserves to be the lead villain in a movie. But for no. years, I would say, like, man, I wish that they would have, like, I wish Spider-Man 3 would open on, like, Spider-Man taking down Shocker as he's trying to rob a right. bank. And yeah. then, like, you know, he's put away and we move on to the main plot or something. That's always been a thing with comic movies of always missing, like, just throwaway fights with villains we would know who they are. Yeah, it feels like, though, that's potentially because they're always just banking on, well, we don't want to throw that character away because we may be able to use them as like yeah. a big deal later on or something. Right. But I mean, they do it here. They actually do it. They throw Shocker sure. in there. He's not a huge part of the movie, but... I mean, they introduce Scorpion, hopefully down the line. He's good something. Yeah, another awesome actor, the dude who plays Nacho on Better Call Saul, which I know you're not watching because you're a crazy person, but... Well. I've uh, heard he's good on that. He's awesome, and I'm excited to see him in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, if it's if it comes down to at some point the vulture breaks these guys out and outfits them with, you know, old stolen tech. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm gonna be I in mean, line for that. That like, has to be business. what they're building towards, right? Because I mean, this is one of the few times they don't kill or banish a villain. They kept the yeah. vulture around. Like, that has to be what they're thinking. 
It has to be. I mean, the, the they allude to it with uh, Scorpion. I mean, there's got to be something there. Mm-hmm. You know, let Vulture, let Vulture be like the 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 new kind of Doc Ock archetype where he's like the leader because mm-hmm. they've introduced him first and he's got the connection and everything. They would For prefer. sure. Yeah. Because what's, what's worse, I mean, like I said, they make Vulture like terrifying in this movie. It'd be even worse to have to take him on plus yeah, other a bunch guys. of other guys who you know? are wearing his tech. I mean, forget it. Um, I mean, this movie just came out, so obviously the special effects are still like top yeah. of the the game right now sure. but um as i mentioned earlier it felt like everything in the previous spider-man movies was building to this as far as action and i mean some of the marvel cinematic universe movies are some of like the best on-screen action we see these days between yeah. like winter soldier and a couple of the other films i mean some of the incredible fight scenes in avengers infinity war and then uh, this is no slouch either. Just at this point, the technology is there that Spider-Man is just, he's up, he's down, he's here, he's there, zip, zap, zap. He's shooting all over the place, taking people out, flipping everywhere. And it's just, it feels mm-hmm. like Spider-Man should. I, d- I just look forward to more like big city web slinging, mm-hmm. like the stuff I love of Spider-Man, which it, there's not a lot of it in this one. Yeah. Just because of locale, but. You know, I just can't wait to see more of it. I love that stuff. Yeah. Uh, costume. I love the costume. I love the eyes. Um, Those expressive mechanical eyes I mm-hmm. love. I even love his homemade suit because it looks like Ben Riley's <laughs> yeah. hoodie costume. I mean, it's just lots of great decisions made. I was super skeptical about the eyes when we first saw them in the trailer for Civil War. But, um, you know, they work awesome. great and I'm cool. You know, at the time we had no idea that he would be like involved with Iron Man and that's where that mm-hmm. tech would come from or anything. So, yeah, um, I, mean, I was on board from the trailer on and now I just love it. So, yeah, uh, completely insane to think about kind of in the realm of like, oh, my God, who would have ever thought Spider-Man would have uh, organic web shooters. But the AI enhanced, you know, Karen. <laughs> Mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. suit uh that is something that i feel like younger me would have not been a fan of but god damn if i don't love it in this it just it's, opens it, up the doors for so yeah. much it's just it's done so well and it adds so much like when he's just having like intimidation mode alone <laughs> oh, he's yes. going after donald glover like that stuff it's just hilarious mm-hmm. um yeah, and like let let he's a scientist tony stark's a scientist like let tech should tech should be involved here yeah, just like yeah. completely preposterous that that suit would be able to handle like 500 different web styles or whatever, but I don't care because I love uh, it. Yeah, I just don't care. I love the character building sequence when he's stuck in the vault and he's like talking to Karen mm-hmm. and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. He's wearing the coat and everything. It's just yeah, such a good look. Such a great poster this one has, that one teaser poster. Where he's like laying in the yeah. coat. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean... I'm a big fan of that. I have the hot toy over in my display case, and he—I mm-hmm. got the deluxe version that comes with the uh, the jacket and the hoodie and the backpack. Yep. Just because I love that look. This one has a, a great montage early on, where he's you know being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, 
right back to the humor and everything in the beginning of the movie. All that stuff is great. Um, yeah. I love, you know, the Spider-Man just saving people without, like, a villain present in the middle of the movie when they're at mm-hmm. the Washington Monument. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's just a fun scene. Like, a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about when it comes to Spider-Man. Like, everybody has thought before, like, well, what happens when he's not in a city? How does he swing? And they tackle that in the movie at one point. Yeah, a couple but times even. When he's at the Washington Monument, just like it's so fucking tall, how does he get up there? Like, you don't just shoot one web and swing up. Like, yeah, he's got to scale that thing and, like, getting mm-hmm. inside. And I I love all of that stuff. Yeah. It's so good, so entertaining, so, like, thrilling. This one is just such a good script that's just perfectly executed. Yeah, it is just solid right, left, back, and front. Um, mm-hmm. It is... Everything that Amazing Spider-Man wasn't, unfortunately. Sure. It just just how this movie, or his inclusion in the MCU, if you think about how crazy it is, it all came from that Sony hacking. Like, <laughs> if that hadn't happened, we would have none of this, mm-hmm. you know? We would be thinking of, we'd still be talking about, oh, if we were in the parallel dimension where there was an MCU Spider-Man, you know? But we actually got it. Yeah. I'm happy to be in this dimension right now. I gotta be yeah, honest. Man. I consider us lucky, friend. <laughs> um, let me give you a little rapid fire on this one before we yes, wrap please. it up. Hit me. Um, I I don't really know about Liz. She seems like a means to an end. But what do you think of Michelle, aka MJ? I like the character a lot. Just the little bits she has to work with. I mean, I guess I feel super fanboy. But I just, I don't like how they named her MJ in the end. I agree. It's just a weird, it feels to me like at the end of The Dark Knight Rises when oh, you find 100%. out that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's real name is Robin. Yeah. Even though never once in the comics has Robin's name been Robin. It's right. just like a weird, stupid fan service thing that was ill-conceived and didn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, li- I really like the character. I can't wait to see what else they do with her. Mm-hmm. Like her, her bits of like being an activist and everything. Like I love all that stuff. I wish they just should have had just rather than make it a secret because it's like the worst kept secret in the movie, anyways. Yeah. Like they should just call it MJ the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I I kind of wish she was in it more because yeah. obviously she's going to be the one that is going to have the relationship with Peter. But if she had been, it could have undermined the whole Liz relationship and. You know, at the time well, watching the movie, you didn't know where that was going to go and yeah. how that was going to end so quickly. I mean, you need it's so the payoff is so good with Vulture being her dad that yeah, another great decision. It's just they should have rather than try to like hit us with the MJ rope a dope at the end, <laughs> should just come out and say it was her. Everyone knew it was going to be her. Yeah, you know, um, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Um, I love it. I think she's good in the role. It makes sense. I agree. We've seen, you know, little old Aunt May with the white hair and the bun. Mm -hmm. And I still love Rosemary Harris from that role. Yeah. Um, Just going along with the tone and the style and the feel and everything of the MCU, I think that younger Aunt May makes just perfect sense. Like, didn't have to be, but now that I've seen it, I'm totally down with it. I mean, and if you think about it, like... Her being that age makes more sense than grandmother aged Aunt May. Mm-hmm. 
if you really think about it, I mean, she's still got 30 years on him. Yeah. You know, it's not grandma, grandma May, it's Aunt May. So mm-hmm. it was a good, solid decision. Great cast choice. You know, Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Not at a ton, actress. but, um, you know, I yeah. feel her very last between them and everything. You know, her very last line where she sees Peter dressed <laughs> up. I mean, yes. you know, it's so good. It's awesome. Uh, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this guy yet, but Jacob Batalon as Ned Leeds. Oh, holy shit! This guy is yeah. a just a tour de force, like out of the blue, never seen him before, and he's amazing. Amazing, great guy in the chair. I love it. <laughs> he's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love everything about that guy. Um, he's so perfect as like the best friend to Peter. Um, a yeah. pleasant change of pace from Harry Osborne, I think. Sure. Where there's nothing sinister about this guy. Yeah. Which and actually Ned Leeds was in the comics was Hobgoblin. Uh I yeah, believe. I believe he became Hobgoblin. Which, you know, it's just using of the name, which I'm not expecting him to be Hobgoblin. But <laughs> no, me neither. That like would said, be something, but <laughs> all all their parts together are great. You know, I feel like they are best friends. Like they feel so natural together and yeah. Um, like they seem like two kids that would have that good of a handshake together. Yeah. You know? The craziest thing to me was when I saw an interview with uh, Jacob Batalon and I realized that uh, his hair in the movie is like a wig. Oh, no way. Yeah, that's not his hair. <laughs> what does he have for hair? Um, he's like buzz cut, like like shaved. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't okay. know why, but I found that very surprising when I saw it. I can dig it. Um. I don't know if there's a whole lot else to touch on. I mean, I mean, we, like I said, this surprisingly enough, I never, I didn't think of it going into this episode that this could be the one we hit three hours. <laughs> yeah, we've been yeah. pretty good about keeping the show short, but uh, I mean, you know, like I said maybe. earlier, I could talk for hours sure. about at least the first and third movie we're discussing here. Sure, sure. Um, but I feel like for the sake of. Uh, ourselves in the in the show i think we've covered enough yeah um i did forget i wanted to go through as we went through the movies just their performance at the box office oh yes Um, so let me very quickly run you through the stuff i wrote down about that um specifically i wanted to do this because at the time the original spider-man film by sam raimi was like one of those it was i feel like it was one of the first movies like it seems like these days every couple of months a movie is breaking a record like Biggest Halloween opening, biggest Labor Day weekend, uh, biggest mm-hmm. opening of all time, or you know whatever. Um, but I like Spider Man is the first one I really remember hearing about all the crazy like, yeah. records it was breaking. For sure, it's it is this movie. So budget for Sam Raimi's Spider Man was one hundred and thirty nine million, dude, which is a whole lot. In I know that was a big risk they were taking. Good lord. Um, box office take worldwide was 821.7. So made its money. (laughs) And biggest opening weekend, I think. Uh, so here's the list. Um, first film to pass 100 million in a single weekend. Okay. Which was three days, um, which was surpassed by Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest four years later. Okay. Highest grossing opening day of all time at the time with thirty nine point four million, surpassed two years later by Spider Man Two. Oh, okay. Highest grossing second day 
uh, and highest grossing in a single day up until that point with $43.6 million on Saturday. Oh, wow. Uh, surpassed two years later by Shrek 2. Ugh. Um, highest grossing Sunday of all time at the time, $31.8 million. Mm-hmm. Highest grossing second weekend at the time, $71.4 million. Fastest film to pass $200 million, which was on day nine. And at the current time right now, it is still the 72nd highest grossing film of all time worldwide. Wow. I mean, and those are still like big numbers now, like 130 budget, 800 million take home. Like that's Just think about this. Think about this. $821.7 million. There are 72 movies that have made more, or 71 (laughs) that have made more than that. Yeah, I would I would never have I thought you were gonna say like in the thirties or something. I never would have said seventies. <laughs> yeah, at one time, but I mean it has been a fucking whirlwind wild Damn. past like almost twenty years since that movie yeah. came out. Whew. Crazy. Um Amazing Spider Man two thousand twelve budget was between two hundred and two hundred and thirty million. And Which sounds crazy. I know. <laughs> uh box office was seven fifty seven point nine, so still Pretty darn reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think to look up the sequel, but uh, and Amazing Spider-Man, ninetieth highest grossing film worldwide of all time oh, wow. currently. Okay. And finally, it's crazy that all of these are so close. Um, budget for Spider-Man: Homecoming was one hundred seventy-five million, so significantly less than Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. Box office eight hundred and eighty point two worldwide. Wow! Um, so the the take for all three of them is pretty close, and yeah. it is the fifty fifth highest grossing film of all time worldwide currently. Imagine three movies making over two billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe with the exception of Amazing Spider Man two, all mm. of the Spider Man movies are in the top. Hundred grossing films of all time. Oh wow, that's wild. Yeah, what a time to be alive, Mills. Whew, don't I know it? Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I know I'm just extending the show. I had all these master plans, and now we're running long. But uh, oh, whatever. Okay, so I have a little, uh, a couple of questions I want to ask you here before we do the buy, borrow, burn. Please, let's compare and contrast. Who is your favorite? Peter Parker of the three. Tom Holland. Who was your favorite Spider-Man of the three? Tom Holland. (laughs) I'd say on the whole, I'm probably with you there. He's just like the complete package. Um, Mm -hmm. I think an argument could be made that uh, most people would probably disagree with that, uh, um, Toby Maguire is the best Peter, but um, yeah, I just think Tom Holland is the complete package. Um, I think it's it's one of those discussions like we kind of already t- touched on a little is the classic version is Toby, mm-hmm. but the better version in my eyes is Tom. Yep. Um, best costume. I mean, I'd say Homecoming. Of the three movies we talked about on the show, I would easily say Homecoming. 
again, I think an argument could be made just because it's so comic accurate that the Amazing Spider-Man 2 costume. I'd like to see them next to each other. Yeah. But I'm telling honestly, you, man, that Amazing Spider-Man 2 costume is spot the I mean, fuck on the I, I, rem- I remember loving it, especially after the first one, being like, God damn, why does he have yellow eyes? What does he look like a basketball? And <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, they did so well. I mean, it's stupid as it sounds. Just those expressive eyes, man, will probably put me over the top with the homecoming anyways. Sure, yeah. That is a part those, of it. Those Ramita eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite Aunt May? Ooh, that's tough. I'm going Rosemary Harris on this one. I do like Marissa Tomei a lot. I think she perfectly fits the franchise she's in. We've only gotten like one movie and a little scene in Civil War of her, but... Rosemary Harris is Aunt May for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree on that one. Cool. I, I, I do love Marissa Tomei, but it's just classic. Mm-hmm. Favorite love interest. Hmm. My heart wants me to go Mary Jane Kirsten Dunst just because. Mary Jane is like the quintessential Spider-Man love interest. And it is interesting that there's a different love interest in each of the three franchises. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a, I'd actually say Gwen Stacy. I'm going to go Gwen Stacy as well. Because I can almost like picture in my mind's eye like that Gwen Stacy with Tom Holland, how good that would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, like I say, I have some issues with um, Kirsten Dunst's acting and her portrayal of that character, uh, even right down to her really fake-looking hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Liz Liz, Liz doesn't work, have much to work with, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as MJ in Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, if that is a romantic interest, mm-hmm. it's, like, budding at this point at best. Right. But, uh, like, Emma Stone is great. The movie she's in isn't. Uh, there's a lot of weird, convenient bullshit with her character, but she can just turn on the fucking charm and is super likable. Yeah, and... I think like if in the right movie, she, you know, yeah, would would be the one. And I can appreciate as well, despite how convenient everything is and how poorly it's written, that they were trying to make her not just a damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I like that about her as well. Which is what I like they're doing with MJ in Homecoming, too. Mm-hmm. So, And then finally, um, and let's open this one up. Let's okay. open this one up to all Spider-Man movies, including the three we didn't talk about. Roger that. Favorite villain. Ooh. Because I think it's pretty obvious who it is between the three we talked about. But... I gotta throw in Doc Ock just for the sake of argument because he's pretty good. <laughs> I'm still gonna go Vulture just because he's that he's scary to me, and Doc Ock was like like a Green Goblin, <laughs> very was corny. taken take well corny, but like taken over by something else. True, you know it's funny. That's actually how they treated the Lizard as well, where he almost became a different character, and then he like yeah. saves Spider Man at the end. It's yeah. they loved, and you know. um, uh, Venom kind of takes you over, and he does enhance, you know, Eddie Brock's uh, personality. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they love to do that with those Spider-Man villains, like make them redeemable. True, true. Where 
Vulture is not. And I just love it. He even kind of is, though, but in a different way. He's not like two. He's not like multiple personalities. But again, you can sort well, of see where he's, he's coming sympath- from. He's yeah. sympathetic. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, You know, I have to agree with you. Vulture. Yeah. Design is awesome. I still love Doc Ock, and I would mm-hmm. love to see what a Doc Ock in a, uh, <coughs> a Homecoming Universe movie could be. Sure. But as of this moment, the Vulture is just the complete goddamn package. He's a character mm-hmm. with a good motivation. He's relatable and likable. Uh, he's cool as hell looking. And it's just scary. Yeah. And Michael goddamn Keaton wins in my book over Alfred Molina mm-hmm. pretty much any day of the week. Yeah. So. I concur. All right. Uh, that's all I had there. So okay. shall we buy, borrow, and burn? We shall. Can I go first? Please. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the one, Millsy, for us, but I'm going to burn Amazing Spider-Man, borrow Spider-Man, buy Homecoming. You know, going into this, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, because like I said, I do have a long history of loving and rewatching the original Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I still have it pretty high in my overall list of uh, Marvel movies on Letterboxd, which can, you know, change with my mood from day to day. But I still really nostalgically revere those first two Spider-Man movies, especially. Yep, yep. But it only took 10 episodes to happen. I have to agree with you. (laughs) Wow. Burn burn Amazing Spider-Man. As much as I love it, Spider-Man has been trumped by Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, like any other movie, you're going to put Spider-Man. Me, me too. You're going to buy Spider-Man, but Homecoming just... Yeah, Homecoming, God, it's just, just like... It's a movie that I, at all times, am like in the mood to rewatch. And like it's the first one I rewatched when we were doing... like. Uh, this episode just because I couldn't wait to sit down and watch it again. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it is so much fun. Um, you know, I, and I fully truly do enjoy the origin stuff in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man, but this movie isn't dragged down by any of that. Um, right. And it's just so fun. So exciting. I love the action scenes and, Uh, my brother yeah and just the fact that it exists within the mcu and has iron man in there and everything i think it honestly gives it a little bit of a bump as well because it's part Mm -hmm. of like a bigger world that i am already super invested in i legitimately feel lucky to have it yeah so good stuff man it happened you know finally (laughs) it probably could have taken a lot longer if we didn't just happen to get this episode so early but uh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to say right now, watch, it's going to be another 27 movies before we agree again. But. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so there it is. Nice, man. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> longest episode yet. All right. <laughs> hey. Let's go ahead and uh, generate that number and wrap her All up. Right. What do you say? Got one to, one to 175. Oh, 176. We added one right oh, before we started oh, recording. Geez. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> All right. Here we go, Mills. Yep. Roll those dice. 38. Man, we get a lot of early numbers. 
38 is going to be <laughs> raging hormones, mm. uh, which could have been, uh, we could have included uh, Spider-Man Homecoming in there, I think, if we wanted to. That's true, true. But uh, yeah, so. All right. Now for something different. <laughs> yeah, now for something completely different. <laughs> uh, yeah, so episode 11 of Triple Threat Theater, coming your way in about three weeks, is going to be based around the broad topic of raging hormones. All right. Um, Works for me. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. Good luck, people. You'll need it. <laughs> yeah, please do. Write to us on uh, Instagram or Twitter or... Hell, if you know us personally, you can text us. Let us know what yeah. do you think uh, the three movies we're going to be talking about are. I know it's a a broad concept this time around. It's it's mm-hmm. no uh, does whatever a spider can, but we love <laughs> right. Dax and I love sitting back, wringing our hands, and watching everybody oh, guess yeah. Yeah. what the next movies are going to be. Mm-hmm. Really, that the, like keeping the three movies secret is just for us. Yeah, it's, because it's we pretty, find it fun. It's pretty self indulgent <laughs> yeah. of us, but. But uh, yeah, so there it is, Raging Hormones. Very good, Mills. Yeah. All right, baby. Till next time, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.